correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, and yet again this week you only have one Steve because other Steve's internet provider decided to, I don't know, do something and not work for him about an hour ago. Well, he's here in spirit. Second Steve is here in spirit. Yes, that he would be. And in any case, you hear the voice of our guest for this episode, who would be uh, Christopher Landauer, also known around the internet as Savage Bull. And we'll get to him in a minute. But before that, I want to talk to you real quick about our D20 Network podcast of the week, which this week is going to be Guardians of the Wills, which is a Star Wars Legends discussion podcast where they talk about, be it Bad Batch is out right now, quite a good series. I'm enjoying it myself. But, you know, that, various books other media, and these guys are massive Star Wars fans. It's actually the, mostly the same crew from Staggering Dragon, the actual play podcast. It's also on the network, so you can check them out. It's at guardiansofthewills.wordpress.com slash category slash G-O-T-W. And to make that a whole bunch easier, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So, with that done, let's get back to our guest and our topic for the week, which is Savage Worlds. And our guest is Christopher Landauer, and he is, well, part of a number of things that spread from a group called the Rocky Mountain Savages. And I think from there, maybe you should take over and explain it yourself, Chris. Yeah, when you guys were looking for guests, I think the call was for a Savage World <laughs> super fan. And uh, so I eagerly jumped up and down and waved my hand around, and I, was, I think I qualify. Uh, if there, if not, then then you know I will knife fight anyone else who claims to be a Savage World super fan. But yeah, so the, I'm a co-manager of the Rocky Mountain Savages, like you mentioned. That uh, was a, a club founded by Chris Fox, uh, Neil Hyde, uh, in the Rocky Mountains, uh, Denver, and it is the largest Savage Worlds fan club, and probably one of the largest kind of role-playing clubs. I mean, I guess in the United States that makes it in the universe. You know, it's kind of like the Miss Universe pageant. Like once once you get you know the United States, and then like you make a hint about the rest of the world, you can start claiming that you're the biggest in the in the universe, and then the galaxy or whatever, whatever one is bigger. I think the galaxies, and then you universes anyways um we're just a bunch of, of rabid savage worlds fans who get together multiple times a year to play savage worlds and uh, we put on events elsewhere than the rocky mountains like we do the savage cruise and uh, we're doing another one of those at the beginning of next year uh, we put on savage expeditions which are a little more land-based uh, savage worlds fun uh, we're going to deadwood this year in august Gosh, Fox and I run the Savage Cast podcast where we just talk about Savage Worlds. And uh, we're also a licensed Savage Worlds publisher. Uh, the book you probably heard from us uh, through uh, Yellow Peace Games is Buccaneer Through Hell and High Water, which is like a, a Pirates of the Caribbean uh, for Savage Worlds. And um, yeah, that's most of what I do. The um, putting on, uh, currently organizing kind of a marketing and events and actual plays for Pinnacle as well. So lots of Savage Worlds uh, on my calendar. It, well, it certainly sounds like you qualify as, as a Savage Worlds super fan in that case. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I, I can pad the resume a little bit more with some made-up stuff, but you know, I don't think I need to. It, well, we're gamers. That's what we do, right? And besides, 
if if you've got a couple Canadians in the Savage, the Rocky Mountain Savages, then then you can definitely claim to be the biggest in the world because it's the World Series and there's a couple teams in Canada and they call it the World Series. <laughs> right, so. Exactly. Or you know, from Colorado, like we do love Canadians and their sports because uh, uh, half of our championship trophies in the state are because we bought a Canadian hockey team at their peak and they came and won us a couple Stanley Cups back to back. So go Avalanche! And um, yeah, now we're, we're we're big fans of the of the the Canucks. Yeah. No, I uh, I actually grew up oh about three hours from niagara falls so oh gorgeous part of the country yeah a little farther now but not not terribly far but in any case um i mean savage worlds has been around for quite a while and if i'm not mistaken didn't it basically evolve out of the original deadlands that came out in what the early 90s yeah so this year is the 25th anniversary of deadlands and um, that's pretty exciting. Uh, 25 years is a, a respectable silver anniversary for an RPG. And then um, the original Savage Worlds, it kind of the, the some of the rule set came out of the Great Rail Wars um, board game, uh, tabletop game. And uh, then the innovations from Deadlands. And then the kind of uh, Shane and crew slimmed it down into its own more universal system. So it wasn't just tied to um, Deadlands. And then kind of... It, you know, the, the Paduan surpassed the master in that regard. And now Deadlands is run with Savage Worlds. Um, so it's kind of come full circle. But yeah, it's uh, uh, we're approaching, I think, 20 years plus with Savage Worlds. I think 2003 is when it officially came out uh, as Savage Worlds. So close to almost almost two decades. Very nice. Yeah, I, I find the setting for Deadlands fascinating. But I don't know if it's just because I'm old and nostalgic. But part of me... If I'm going to play Deadlands, I want to play Deadlands Classic and use all the chips and the cards and and everything because I remember somebody that I knew in college had it, but I never got to play. Yeah, it's super themed out, right? Like the, the exactly the, the 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 crunch matches the setting very nicely with you know card dealing cards to to create your powers and and you know the different types of poker chips and you know Savage Worlds uh, takes those elements and kind of just streamlines them. So um, instead of multiple different colors of chips, the uh, you get um, one kind of Benny basically. And uh, whereas in, in you know in classic Deadlands that the different colored Bennies, um, some <clears throat> some you could get a reroll, but you know. The, the game master would get a Benny as well. Um, some you get bonuses with. So so that's been streamlined for basic Savage Worlds. And um, similarly, like the cards, the cards also make their 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 way into Savage Worlds to a, a great degree. For instance, um, initiative is handled by cards, mm-hmm. and uh, which is kind of a part of the reason it's a little uh, it's it's a faster system than um, what some people are you're used to in D twenty. Um, not that dealing cards is inherently faster than rolling dice. It's just the fact that the you're getting everybody with one person does the work and then you can just run down the cards versus everybody rolling, figuring out what they rolled, telling you what they rolled. And, you know, and the fact that it changes up every time I'm kind of versus some of the more static combat systems uh, is kind of fun. So the cards definitely make their way, their presence known there. There's also a lot of uh, subsystems that use cards. So if, if you're doing things like dramatic tasks, you draw cards to give you inspiration on, on kind of what, or on, on um, interludes you draw cards to give you inspiration on kind of what to talk about and um each of the each of the suits has the uh, their, their own theme and um you know we've got uh like new chase rules that come with their own chase deck that that each card has its own kind of mechanic to to play with so there's a lot of there's a lot of fun in savage worlds that's it's still clearly inspired and derived from the original deadlands yeah i i didn't mean that it wasn't you know that i remember seeing it way back when and so part of me just that's how i 
want to try it at least once. Oh, yeah, no, and it's still a very playable system. I mean, and I and I agree with you. The 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 level of cohesion between mechanics and setting are really great in the classic Deadlands. So I guess we we kind of started there, and uh, we talked a little bit before the show. I'm somewhat familiar with it. I'm actually about halfway through reading my copy of the Savage Worlds core book, but the the dice system is. Unique, I guess, is a way to put it. And now, is this what they call a, a roll and keep system, or is this a just a weird dice pool? How would you classify it? Uh, oh, I think it's kind of unique for for either of those. So the um, the one thing that like different than roll and keep is you don't have to keep your rolls. The nice thing about Savage Worlds is bennies are a major part of how the system works. And what bennies are, it's short for benefits, and uh, it's kind of a free reroll system. So not actually free. The uh, every player starts with three bennies uh, at the beginning of a session, and the expectation is that uh, more bennies will be flowing from the game master during the session. So it's not just you know you only get three period. You know you use them and you're done. They're kind of the there's a whole action economy based around bennies. And so what you can do with bennies is if you make a a roll that you don't like, uh, you can spend a benny and reroll it. And uh, so that's that's a nice aspect of Benny's is it gives players agency. And then they're also used for when your character takes damage, um, you can soak the damage by spending a Benny and making um, a roll. Uh, and if you succeed on that roll, then the damage didn't happen or you negate some of the damage. So the, 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 the basic dice mechanic for Savage Worlds is pretty simple. For, for most actions, you need a four or better on the dice that you're rolling. And the dice that you roll, the traits in the game which are like attributes and skills uh, attributes are, are qualities that define kind of how your character is made and then skills are things that you've been trained in and uh, so the kind of the nature and nurture those two things you know most systems have those right you've got your you know smarts intelligence wisdom those kind of things in systems um savage worlds has those and those are the attributes and then skills are um you know things that you're studied in and things that you're good at like fighting or research and the they're measured in die types. So if um, if you're untrained, you're a D4 minus two. Uh, you know the, the first time you spend any points being trained, you get a D4 in, in a skill, and then you keep raising those up to D12s. And uh, after D12, you start adding pluses to your rolls. And then because you're a player character, we call you a wild card. And uh, wild cards are player characters, and then some of the bad guys who are the little more bossy types. Um, they're also wild cards, and wild cards get their three wounds, and you also get a wild die. And for most characters and most players, the that's a d6 that you get to roll as an additional chance of success. So basic roll, like if I'm like, hey, make a notice check, you look at your skills, you've got like a d6 in notice, you got a d6 for your wild die, so you roll the 2d6, and if either of those dice gets you a four or better, you don't add them, you, you keep them separate. If either of them is a four or better, you succeed. And then every multiple of four above a four, so an eight is what's called a raise. And uh, raises just indicate that something either better happens or if you're causing damage and you're doing an attack. If you're doing an attack, you get an extra damage dice to, to roll. And if you're doing damage, uh, every four above your target number is an additional wound. So the 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 four is kind of a, a mostly a magic number. Uh, it's most of the time you're looking for four or better. And for a lot of people, that sounds low because you're, you're looking at other systems like I kind of came from GURPS and, you know, so you're rolling 3d6 and you're, you're like 10 was kind of, you know, average and, and higher was better. And, um, you know, a lot of times you're, you're the, the number you're looking for to roll uh, is higher. So four sounds like a pretty low number. But the way Savage Worlds works uh, by kind of 
um, narrowing that range to a four and kind of the limited number of dice. You're kind of rolling typically two dice, your trait dice and then the um, your wild die and keeping it to a four better for a success. It, it makes the game run pretty pretty quickly. It's very uh, it's a fast game to resolve what's going on. Yeah, well, I know the, the tagline for the system is fast, furious, fun. So, you know, I assume that's based off of how it plays. <laughs> Yeah, right. And, and some people take that to mean that it's like a, a super rules light system and it's not. It's a medium crunch system. Uh, but I, I do think that the level of crunch is doesn't really bog it down. The I actually think in, in some regards, less crunchy systems are even slower to play because at some point when you're in a sandbox and you don't have a, a piece of crunch to resolve a simple question that you're asking, like, do I see this? Can I attack it? Do I hit it? And you're, you're a little more on the like, let's come to a, a consensus and let's talk about it kind of things. You can never reach a conclusion on those systems or they're so open-ended that just even thinking of how you'd approach it takes a good amount of time. So it's medium crunch, but it's definitely on the fast end for resolving combat. The, you know, again, loved GURPS, but GURPS would be a, hey guys, we're going to build up to the big combat and then maybe we'll get through the one combat in one night, maybe. <laughs> and, uh, you know, several, put several hours in. Uh, whereas Savage Worlds, the, you know, we typically, we run a lot of convention games and we have three or four hours to get through a satisfying adventure. And usually that means three scenes, three or four scenes. And, you know, at least two, two to three of those can be combats. And so, you know, about an hour per combat with a table of, of five to six players. That's a pretty, pretty good as far as, you know, kind of the, the economy of your time versus what you accomplish in the game goes. Yeah, yeah. And then the one other thing that I noticed reading it, and I believe this is only for wild cards, but all dice in Savage Worlds explode, correct? Uh, that, yeah, so uh, and they explode for enemies too. So the uh, that's a one of the, the the more fun mechanics where if you if you roll, Shane prefers to call it acing, but um, we like exploding because it sounds more fun than acing. Uh, but yeah, if, if you if you roll a six on a d six or a four on a d four, uh, you get to keep rolling that die and adding the results until it stops exploding. So that's the that's kind of one of the, the other mechanics within Savage Worlds that keeps it very cinematic, very fun, and very anticipatory. Um, so we, we, where you're not, everything's not very rote. So the the, the kind of things that keep the system you know, on your toes and you're, you're, everybody's kind of interested in what's happening is, yeah, dice explode. And uh, that is fantastic. That always, you know, gets the table excited. And then when you're dealing initiative, if you get dealt a joker, uh, everybody at the table gets an extra Benny. So there's a lot of excitement that goes around the table when jokers are dealt. And um, there are edges that you can take. They can kind of manipulate how many cards you get. And so some some wise people have figured out how to play a more tactical kind of metagame with the system to increase the number of jokers that, that hit the table by running through a lot of cards. So, for instance, there's, um, you know, like level-headed. If you're level-headed in combat, it means you get to draw two cards and pick the better of the two um, that you want to use. Uh, but there's also quick. And so the quick allows you that you will not go below a five. So that's one of those, if you, if you combine the two, you know, or you have multiple players at the table who each have it, or one has one and one has the other, uh, you can start running through some of the, the lower cards because the character who needs a, a five or better, you know, as the game master is dealing cards, you know, a two, a four, a three, a two. Yeah, nope, 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 those don't, those don't count. 
you know, keep dealing, keep dealing. And so you kind of run through the deck faster. And in general, most people don't uh, reshuffle until a Joker's been drawn. So, you know, getting through that deck is kind of part of the metagame that's fun uh, in Savage Worlds. So between, you know, Bennies, being able to spend Bennies, exploding dice, uh, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty with the mechanics that keep keep the game fun and, and keep people paying attention. So Yeah, yeah. No, and it sounds to me, too, like with the exploding dice... And and where, so to speak, pretty much every roll has a puncher's chance that, mm-hmm. well, yes, you can, and, and no no pun intended here, but in a meta sense, you can stack the deck to your advantage, but it's not like you can just stack all these bonuses and know that you have the best goblin killer ever and you're never going to run into a goblin that can beat you. Yeah, that, that, and that's the cool thing. I mean, there are, I mean, there are some famous examples online of people who, in, in other various, usually D20 systems, but it also works for things like GURPS, where, you know, you can create the loophole character that is, you know, god-tier effective because you combine this feat with this magic item and that compounds with, you know... That, that really doesn't exist in Savage Worlds because it's not nearly as rigid or fixed, uh, but it does exist in the, in the kind of the, 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 the fun of that exists in the fact that you can be killed at any time because the the enemies can have their dice explode as well. And there are runs where they, they can roll 40, 50, 60 da- you know, points of damage against you. And there's you know a little hope of, of soaking that, that damage. And you're kind of at that point, just hoping to save your bennies for the, the, the incapacitation table to see if it, you know, you insta die or whether you can get away with a, a permanent injury or something else that's fun and, and thematic. Uh, but same, same way for characters is that, there, there isn't the kind of ablative whittle away at a super HP monster uh, that's going to take you, no matter what you know, that on the third attack of, of uh, against whatever the, the big monster is, you're not going to kill it. You're just at best going to, you know, take a chunk of its hit points down and then, you know, down, 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 down until finally someone kills it. You know, in Savage Worlds, the, the kind of swing nature of exploding dice means that you can luck out and get a roll and just roll a fantastic amount of damage, you know, and it's, it, it is, but they're not even insta kills because the, you know, the game masters have be- uh, bennies too. And the game masters can attempt to soak. Um, so that, so there is that back and forth on, you know, fantastic hits, great damage, uh, you know, could be a potential kill. Oh, but the game master soaks two of the wounds. So it's only kept one of its wounds, uh, but it's still, you know, shaken and wounded. And so there's, there, there are elements of both of those. And kind of the nice thing is like, if you look at the, the newer material that, we're putting out for the uh, Savage Pathfinder, Pathfinder for Savage Worlds. You know, Pathfinder, the kind of the the hit point system is more uh, a part of that ethic. So the designers on the team have found ways of marching Savage Worlds with the setting rules for Savage Pathfinder a little closer to not being able to just one shot all the big bads, you know, keeping some of the big bads have edges uh, that, that allow them to, you know, at most take a wound from um, you know, any one hit. So, you know, you're not going to get, you, know, you, you do need to at least wound it, you know, three times or things like that. So, so, so some of those mechanics, obviously they're not going to recreate, Hey, 500 hit points or whatever. Uh, but they, they do take it away from, uh, in a nice modular kind of customized ability from Savage Worlds core. Yeah. Like I said, it's a game that I'm, I'm really, really intrigued by it. And again, I told you this, you know, before we started recording, because where it really caught my attention. I'd heard about it here and there, and it's like, okay, yeah. And then I realized that Palladium licensed the Rifts property to Pinnacle, and so they're putting out the Savage Rifts. And Rifts is an amazing world, but the the Palladium engine 
while it isn't terrible in play, character creation is a nightmare. And back when I was running it, when I was in college and I had a lot more time and I was a lot more into the system, whatever, it still took me better than an hour to create a character from scratch. And that's just stats. That's not writing down any backstory, any sort of development. That's that's getting the numbers on the page. And for lack of a, a better way to say it, it, at this point in my life, you know, now that I'm an adult and I have a job and I have, you know, I have a house, I have to cut the grass, I have to, et cetera, et cetera, and so on. I just don't have time for that, and nor do most of the people that I now play with. So the Savage Rifts thing was really intriguing, and then a bunch of the Savage Rifts stuff was on Humble Bundle, and I went, okay, for 25 bucks, yep. <laughs> right, easy choice, easy choice. And then I'm like, I got to go get the core book, because I need the core book. And then it's like, ooh, there's all this other neat stuff, you know, be it Deadlands or, you know, like 50 Fathoms. And then, you know, then I became aware of, and I don't remember what it's called, but you mentioned it, the um, the community content program that Savage Worlds is doing. Uh, yeah, there's two of them. There's Aces, and then there's a Swag, which is the Adventures Guild. So the Adventures Guild is folks who are just beginning to dip their toes in. It's basically, it's like fan content, right? Like the uh, the, the expectation is... Um, you know, all on them to, to you know, quality control. Um, but you know, if you have a cool idea you want to throw out there and, and see if people like it, um, you know, it's very, it's a very generous program. You can, you, you can post it up and see people like it. And then, you know, one step up from that is a licensed ace publisher. And these are people who've, you know, already demonstrated that they've got the sort of, you know, quality control, not in just in terms of, of mechanics, but also in terms of presentation, you know, for art and layout. And, and the ace publishers usually go for more like setting style books. So, you know, instead of being smaller supplements, they will kind of go for something that's in the, you know, 50 to 100 plus pages kind of setting books and, and things that can be printed. And that's what we did with Buccaneer Through Hell and I Water. We actually did a, it turned into like a 300 page book. Um, but yeah, we actually had that printed. Yeah, and, and so those are kind of two nice ways that the community can bring content to Savage Worlds, um, as well as all of the official pinnacle settings that are in-house and then the licensed settings uh, like things like Rifts um, and Pathfinder and Lankmar. Uh, so, yeah, so Savage Worlds is kind of kind of got a, a really good mix of everything from, you know, licensed material to licensee material on, on that kind of spectrum, which is, uh, yeah, it's, it's part of the reason I think our community is so supportive and, and, and kind of growing is you can find your place here. There's there's definitely a place for uh, a whole different line of gamers. And, and like you said, all of us are really kind of conscious of time. And I think if you look at, the, the community content and the stuff that Pinnacle's putting out, a lot of it is very much focused on on time. You know, even if you, like, like if you look at the uh, the current Flash campaign, they've got Flash Gordon, which is a licensed property, and the Savage Rifts property, and uh, you know even the kind of the Big Daddy, the recent Daddy the acquisition of the uh, a great fantasy property with Pathfinder. If you look at what they're putting out besides the core books, there's a lot of other little bits that are kind of coming in the box sets that are all about saving you time. So like archetype cards are super time savers. So, you know, if you want to put together a battle with uh, goblins, right. Or we have, if you're in, in, in flash Gordon, you want to, you know, some of Ming's Ming's henchmen, you just pull the archetype card out and it's got all the stats right there on the card ready for you to use. And if you want a little less, you know, easier version of it, you, you can drop those down by a die type or remove an edge. If you want to beef them up and, and have them be a commander, you know, you add an edge uh, and kind of move, you know, one or two of the die types up. So, the the archetype the, you know, cards are kind of one of the, the things that's nice about Savage Worlds. And even without that, like even without the, the published materials, 
one of the, the really cool things about Savage Worlds that keeps it easy to run for those of us who are like the, the, on the game master side is for mooks, you know, or or characters that that are you're not expecting to have a, a lot of complex interaction with characters, whether they're you know they're there to delay the characters or ambush characters, but they're not you know they don't know the secret machinations. You can really give them one or two stats, like you, know, you give them d6 and whatever they need. If they're really good, a d8. Um, if they're you know kind of schleps, maybe a d4. And if if it comes up on the top of your head, that's really all you need to do. And, and for those, there's a, a common game mechanic for you know non wild card enemies where it's called up down or off the table so you know they only have one hit and then in, in savage worlds the one of the mechanics the basic mechanics of the game is that the the first time you're like uh, hit by an enemy and it, it surpasses your toughness which is kind of means it gets through your armor there's a status called shaken and so shaken basically it limits you know your options if you are shaken so it's good to become unshaken and then if you're shaken a second time while you're shaken you'll get a wound from it and then if you're attacked and you 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 know you reach your your toughness when they're attacking you if they either their damage reaches your toughness you're shaken if they go four above you get your first wound eight above your second wound etc so shaken uh, so for for kind of table management if you're using miniatures if if, if if an enemy miniature is standing they're ready to go if they're laying down it means they're shaken um, so you have to you know, the world on shake before they can really get their full range of, of attacks and abilities against you. And then if they're wounded, you just pull them off the table. You know, one wound, they're done. And uh, so that's that's a way that you can you can literally throw dozens of miniatures down on the table and manage them without having to really even take notes on a, on a, lot, on a lot of the effects. So that's kind of a nice way of, of keeping it, uh, even with complex, larger battles, you can still keep it pretty fast. Yeah, that sounds that sounds cool. That's, you know, like, that's one thing I did notice reading the book is that it, it does feel like it is geared to run quickly. If nothing else, it just keeps everyone more engaged in what's going on. You know, unlike certain D20 games that are notorious for, okay, I finished my turn. I'm going to go, you know, check Facebook for 20 minutes till it's my mm-hmm. turn again or longer. Right, exactly. And Savage Rolls just avoids that one by making any one character's turn faster. You know, two, the initiative changes every round. So, you know, paying attention is beneficial. Um, but three, there are a lot of elements of Savage Worlds like support that even when it's not your turn and even if you don't have an action, you can still aid in the support of other characters. That, that's that's a kind of a nice part of the system is that the, the, the kind of mechanics do keep you engaged, not only with how what your character is choosing to do, but what other characters are doing you know, are doing as well. And, and then there are a lot of things like dramatic tasks where everybody's involved in, in the dramatic task, but instead of doing it turn based um everybody's kind of acting at the same time so a dramatic task like an example is like like defusing a bomb right like well not every character in your if you're playing a group of you know like a police procedural and you're playing a group of like SWAT team members and you've 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 broken into where the hostage is but the hostage has a bomb vest on them and instead of running it by round where you know everybody's drawing initiative cards and et cetera et cetera cetera, the the game master can say you know, we're going to do a dramatic task. You guys have three three rounds to get two successes apiece. So if you have like four players, you need a total of eight among all of you, uh, eight successes. 
uh, to successfully defuse this bomb. And the players can tell you what their characters are doing. So one of them might be a bomb tech, and they're going to say, okay, well, I'm going to use my repair skill, which is kind of the skill that we use for everything from fixing things to you know, engaging with mechanics to try to defuse the bomb. And then a, another character is like, well, I'm going to try to use my persuasion skill to calm down the uh, victim here so that they don't accidentally set the bomb off. And then the two other characters are like, okay, I'm going to do Overwatch with, I'm going to use my shooting skill to, you know, provide ground cover to keep the uh, the terrorists at bay from you know, breaking into the room. And then you know, the fourth character is like, okay, I'm going to use uh, my leadership skill to, to you know, my knowledge battle to you know, organize everybody and keep the information flowing between everybody so we know what's going on. And if we fail, you know, we can wish our, our hostage well, but we can, you know, throw them behind the the, the the concrete bunker so we we don't get blown up in the blast or whatever. So, you know, you, you announce what skill you're using and then you're rolling against that skill every round and, and seeing how many successes you add to the pool or, you know, if you get a critical failure, you can remove successes from the pool. But, you know, in, in that kind of dramatic task, instead of doing regular combat with all the crunch, it's getting a little more narrative, but you are kind of incorporating, you know, everybody at the same time and they're helping each other, you know, you're helping each other out. So like same thing with like assisting, you can assist other characters in what they're doing and you don't even have to always have the skill, you know, based upon, you know, game master approval that they're using. So if you, if you, if you have another means of assisting the situation, you can make a pleaded case to the game master and say, you know, Hey, I'd like to help out these guys. You, if you don't have lock picking, but you can, you know, you do have like something like scrounging, you can find something, you know, like, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to search to see if there's a manual for this safe in the desk, in the guy's desk, you know, because of course he kept the manual for the safe in the desk. So, you know, he, you'd use notice to go search for the manual while the other character is using the lock picks. If, if the character who's doing the searching, you know, gets a, a success, they get a plus one bonus to the, the character doing the lock picking. So that's kind of how you, you they, they can give you bonuses, even if they don't have the lock picking skill, that kind of stuff. So there's, there is cooperative elements uh, in the game that keep everybody engaged every round. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like stuff like that. Now, the one thing I did want to ask, and I, may have skimmed past this in reading or may not have gotten to it yet. Is it acceptable to use Benny's to introduce narrative elements in the game? Like for example, absolutely. Yeah. Like, like you were saying about the, the manual for the safe. Can you just say, Hey, I'm going to spend a Benny to say that the dude kept the, the manual to the safe in his desk and we found it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So yes, there are, um, uh, you can spend Benny's to, to, to do narrative effects of all the things you can do with Benny. So that, yeah, so narrative effects are definitely one of them um, in, in games that have fantasy elements that have powers um, and, 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 and Savage Worlds uses powers for everything from like, you know, fantasy spells to um, if you are a superhero and you have actual powers to uh, weird tech. So like um, steampunk and, you know, technological advances. So if you, if you have a a laser gun, um, you can use the power that it, it is associated. Like you know, whether it's a like that would probably be a uh, if you do like a blast or a burst. Those are kind of the you know shooting a stream versus making an explosion in an area of effect. You you, you pick one of those powers, and then how you mold it to the you know and customize it to the setting you're in are something that the the system calls trappings. So a, sci a weird scientist or a mad scientist using a laser gun um, could very much be the exact same power as a, you know, an eldritch witch 
who's you know uh, bringing lightning down from the heavens um, could be very much the same way as a character like Storm, um, you know, who's collecting energy, you know, from from the environment, uh, whether it's you know nature, whether the the character is someone who can kind of you know get access to the power lines or batteries or whatever, and then you know shoot out an electrical ray. Those would all be the same. Or they could even be different, like you know, maybe Storm creates an area of effect with it, and the mad scientist creates a kind of a bolt that is a, a similar to a shot. You know, you shoot a bolt, um, you know, at at distance um, of of lightning, but they'd all have the lightning trapping, and so the, so they would also do stuff if it was relevant in the game um, that you could do with lightning, or you could have a fire trapping, or you could have you know, trappings are kind of a. a they, they don't have to have a mechanical effect. They can just be a narrative effect, like a, a creepy glow um, or whatever. But if they do have something that's logical at any given time for a, a, a mechanical effect, those can be applied from, from you know, as well. So you can spend a Benny to get more power points back. So the, the game runs on power points. The different powers have their base cost and power points. And then if you want to make them, you know, a larger attack or a larger area of effect or have them last longer or make them armor piercing or those kind of things, you can spend more power points when you activate them. And then in most settings over time, you gain power points back, but you can also gain power points back in, in settings by spending bennies. And uh, you know, Benny's, you can re-roll trait rolls. You can also re-roll damage rolls. The other rolls you make, like things like you know, soaking. Soaking is how you get rid of wounds. Um, you can spend Benny's on that. So yeah, so Benny's, uh, Benny's have a, a range of kind of um, uses in the game, and that's kind of why the the Benny economy is what what uh, a popular term we use is, is kind of an important way of uh, setting the tone for what what kind of game you're playing. And that's kind of one of the other elements that Savage New Worlds is really great at is that there are setting rules. So the it's not a one-size-fits-all system for all the games it runs. Setting rules are kind of, you know, in this setting, to, to make it more, you know, pulpy cinematic versus horror, um, we use these setting rules. And the setting rules kind of just turn off, uh, off and on features of the game. So, for instance, like the in a high-horror game, you might not want to uh, have, have Benny's be as, as flowing. So you might say... In, in in this horror setting, each character only gets three bennies per session and you don't earn more. Or you might say, you know, uh, this is a setting rule that's become a standard rule of the system with Suede, the, the new edition, is that the um, being able to re-roll critical failures. So in you know previous editions, you could re-roll critical failures, and now in Suede Core, if you get a critical failure, you can't spend a Benny on it. You got to take the if you get Snake Eyes on your trait and Wild Eye, uh, it's a critical failure, and the the game master gets to give you the fun effects from that. So you know those kind of setting rules allow you to customize how the system plays for whatever kind of genre you're playing in. Oh, very nice. Yeah, that was something I did want to touch on because, like, we have a lot of listeners that are that are very into the um, the Genesis system or the Star Wars RPG from Fantasy Flight, now Edge Studios, and it's also built as a a generic system. And I think you know, like, based on my experience, what that really does well is cinematic action. And I was curious if Savage Worlds kind of has a vein that it's, what do you want to say, the best at? Like, I know it was designed as a, you know, as a generic, somewhat settingless system. And so it, it's not like, well, we're going to take the mechanics from D&D and we're going to play whatever else with it. No, it, it's built to be adapted. But like, does it have, 
like it strikes me that it it really likes pulp action. And, and, and that's fair, right? And I think that comes from well, one. It's true. It does do pulp action very well. I think that also comes from the fact that it's a little unique in the uh, role playing game milieu uh, for being a system that can handle that, right? Whereas um, I think GURPS particularly handles modern police and military very well because of that 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 three d six bell curve feels real like it feels like you're living in the real world with it you know and and you don't really get to re-roll very often unless you've got a very rare and very expensive you know luck so you know gurps makes you eat your rolls and 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 the details on you know what you can you get shot in the pinky well yes you can so those kind of elements make it feel a little more gritty and modern and there there aren't a lot of pulp games uh in, in 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 kind of the you know, a lot, a lot of there's a lot of D and D and D and D clones that do high fantasy. Um, so Savage Worlds is unique in that regard. That if you wanted to play that that genre, Savage Worlds is the kind of the game you'd pick up to play that. And so that's a totally fair assessment. I, I also think that a lot of the the new setting rules and the new, I mean, the fact that if you look at just like the two big properties like Rifts and Savage Pathfinder, if if it can do pulp and investigative horror kind of things, and, they, and one of the 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 in-house settings is called East Texas University. It'd be like supernatural or Buffy, that kind of vibe of uh, you know young investigative horror, school-aged horror. If you can go from there, and then you can also run Pathfinder and Rifts, um, and then something that's very you know cheeky in space like you know uh, Flash Gordon, I do think it's very adaptable. And so the fact that you can turn on and off setting rules, and then the the kind of the customizations for you know, Rifts and, and Savage Pathfinder have a lot of custom mechanics that, that aren't in core, that, that are kind of guided to e- evoke the feeling of Palladium and of uh, Pathfinder and Paizo without going, you know, I mean, it, it, they still are Savage Worlds. Um, you know, if you, if you wanted full-on Palladium or if you wanted full-on Pathfinder, you could just go play those, right? There's, we're, we are not making the case that you shouldn't play those. We love playing those games. Yeah, but they're a different style of play and a different appeal to those systems. So for if you want a more Savage Worlds-esque experience, you can definitely get those um, there. So I yeah, 100% agree. Pulp is probably the first answer most people would give you. I, I like it personally for... I think most of the settings that, that get published in Savage Worlds are alt-history with weirdness. So there's a whole list of them, and there's like the they they do the Weird Wars line, which is you know Weird Wars one, Weird Wars two. There's uh, the Vietnam War. There's Weird Wars Rome that that really kind of looks at alt history, um, but you throw in the weirdness and, and you kind of amp up the horror elements. The you know, Deadlands has a whole different line that's kind of diverse. So in addition to the traditional Deadlands, there's Deadlands Noir, which kind of goes into like the New Orleans. Yeah, mafioso noir, black and white style kind of gameplay. Uh, Hell on Earth uh, goes to the post-apocalyptic tropes. Uh, and then there's Deadlands Lost Colony, which kind of takes all of that and advances it into the future and does you know some space with it. But even like in the Westerns, right? So like there's Deadlands, but there's also like the Sixth Gun, um, which is its own comic flavor of of the, the, the Old West. And... Um, the uh, there's space 1889, which is kind of where you kind of bridge the old west and the Victorian, and the kind of planetary romance. So you know, so Savage Worlds kind of it, it kind of does it all. But I I do think there is that element where oh, and then like like Last Parsec. Well, Last Parsec is like it's definitely the sci-fi, it's definitely space, but it's more on the hard sci-fi versus the kind of 
you know, planetary space romance you get with Slipstream or Flash Gordon, you know, or, or my favorite era of, of Savage Worlds kind of comes in the, between like the Age of Sail and, and that kind of era. So you've got, they did Solomon Kane, uh, and they did the Pirates of the Spanish Main, and you've got Rippers, which is kind of the the classic monsters, the Victorian uh, monsters, but it throws in some bioengineering and, and that kind of stuff. So I, I think Savage Worlds really does sing when you take, you know, alt history and throw in some weirdness to kind of give yourself an axis of freedom on, you know, deviating from history, but also kind of you get the, the game elements we all like to play in fantasy, right? You can play characters that can sling spells or have superpowers. Oh, and there's a whole bunch, I mean, supers. It does supers really well as well. You know, the necessary evil is kind of the, uh, one of the, 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 the great super settings for it where you get to play earth is invaded by an evil alien race. And they, most of the superheroes um, are taken out during the initial invasion. So it's it's up to the supervillains to save Earth. And so they're, they're kind of, that's what the necessary evil and necessary evil refers to. So that's a fun spin on, on some of the other systems. So I think Savage Worlds does a great job of taking traditional systems that people are re- re- used to playing and putting a spin on it, whether it's adding a little more horror elements, adding weirdness, um, putting a capital A in the alt for alt history. That's kind of where it shines. Okay. Yeah, I'm sold. <laughs> I, that kind of stuff is, is like, I love stuff that, that just kind of takes your expectations and, and twists them and tweaks them or just flat out turns it on its head. You know, that that's like, I, I love that kind of thing in an RPG, you know, that's, that's, and, and yeah, like I'm honestly, and I think I'm, I don't know if I'm in a minority, but I, I feel like compared to most people that I know that I'm much less into fantasy RPGs than most other gamers that I know. Not that I don't like them, but like at this stage, like I'm fascinated by the Eberron setting. And I know Christian mm-hmm. Serrano has the conversion he's put out for Eberron to Savage Worlds. I have a copy of it downloaded somewhere. But like it seems like up until at least I'm not aware of anything other, you know, specific traditional fantasy other than the upcoming, you know, Savage Pathfinder stuff. But it sounds like a lot of the stuff that Savage Worlds has been doing is stuff that would really stir my imagination. Yeah, well, and, and Savage Worlds runs fantasy well out of the box. I mean, the nice thing about um, Pathfinder uh, is that there's, you know, the, the twist for Pathfinder is less on the material and the assumptions of the setting and more on the mechanics, right? Very similar to Rifts, where it's, you know, these are well-established, well-loved properties in their own right. We don't need to add a, a twist to Rifts. We don't need to add a twist to Pathfinder. But there is there is obviously a demand in the market you know, because those are two long-lasting and, and really popular properties. There's also just a, a demand for, like you said before, you know, being able to sit down and play those quicker, you know, versus the more in-depth kind of crunchy rules that D20 and, and Palladium system offer. So that's kind of the twist on those, right? The twist on those is showing that, yeah, Savage Worlds can absolutely do, you know, Megaverse with Stompy Robots and Leyline Walkers and, you know, genetic dog boys. Um, and it can also do very traditional high fantasy. Um, I've gotten to play some of the Pathfinder and I've seen the development and it is fantastic. I'm really excited about it. To me, I think it's kind of rejuvenated my appreciation for fantasy. And I, I agree with you 100% on the idea that I, there's a lot of us gamers who, not that we're down on fantasy, it's just that, that it, it makes up such a large percentage of the market share for role-playing games 
And it makes up a big percentage of what we've all already played since we were, you know, teens, right? So it's, we've done it. We, 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 we've scratched that itch. Um, so there, there, there are a lot of things that, you know, role-playing games, you know, that have yet to touch. So, I mean, that's kind of the neat thing about, about Savage Worlds is that it, it does kind of go there. But one property you should definitely check out if you, if you do want to get the, the fantasy itch in Savage Worlds, um, Lankmar. So the Fawford and the Grey Mouser kind of setting Lankmar has been um, lovingly done in Savage Worlds, which is pre-Savage Pathfinder. So you can get the hardback books right away on Lankmar. Um, and that's its own you know, flavor of fantasy as well. So that, 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 that is kind of nice that, they're, they're, that, is, that is out there for those people who are curious um, on, you know, can Savage Worlds do fantasy? Check out Lankmar. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And then, um, you know, and, and in general, like Shane's thrown in some fantasy elements to even the non-traditional fantasy game. So like, um, you know, the book that we release as a licensee is Buccaneer, which is very much you know, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, you know, so we added the, the, those kind of fantasy elements. But Savage Worlds did Pirates of the Spanish Main. They had that license for um, a good long time, and that was, a, they, they did kind of fencing schools. So between, like, Solomon Kane, Pirates of the Spanish Main, but they also did, like, the, another pirate setting called, like, we talked about in the pre-show, 50 Fathoms. And um, that's a, a, a fun setting that really amps up the fantasy elements. So you've got, you know races that are just very piratey Caribbean created races, you know, like Kraken and, and Crab Men and all these kind of wonderful things. That's, you know, even more fantastical and whatever you what uses that word you'd like than something a little more traditional like, you know, straight up pirates or pirates with a little bit of fantasy. So yeah, the options are there. Yeah, I was gonna say fifty fathoms on the surface struck me as a Deadlands take on Pirates of the Caribbean. Very much, very much. But yeah, now, now one thing I, I do want to ask, and, and you know, hopefully we're all coming to the end of this, this pandemic thing and, and all that and can, you know, really start playing around tables again more and more. But I did want to ask with all the dice mechanics and the cards and, and et cetera, uh, you know, how well supported is Savage Worlds on, on the VTT spectrum, you know, with Roll20 or Astral or, you know, I mean, I know there's a ton of them out there. So Shane likes to insist that Savage Worlds is still a, a very small company or Pinnacle is a small company. Um, but a, as a brag, I do think they punch above their weight class in terms of, um, one, just the, the kind of an amount of, of material they put out. But two, on the VTT especially, you know, on, on one of the platforms, I think we are the second or third most popular game played behind D&D with a rather impressive market share. I think it's maybe it's third behind D&D and Pathfinder, but the... Is a very impressive actual amount of, of VTT offerings. And there's actually an in-house VTT virtual tabletop team that one pu- pu- publishes material for the virtual tabletops and then facilitates the companies. So some of the v- v- VTT companies, they kind of, they in-house create materials. And then other of the companies you have, you as the pr- publisher have to create your materials um, in line with their platform. So um, our VTT team is, is excellent. Um, it's headed up by Dr. Amy Marshall. You can see her on Twitch. Um, there's a show called Virtual Table Talk, and they kind of bring on, um, whether it's Roll20 or Fantasy Grounds or um, one of the, the, the new contenders in the VTT world, Foundry. 
Um, but yeah, the it's well supported on all those platforms. And obviously the big stuff um, gets out first. So Deadlands is a priority that is releasing on all those platforms. And then, but one of the nice things too, that was even for the smaller kind of products, like uh, Pinnacle did a, a little booster campaign recently for East Texas University called Study Abroad, uh, where it's 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 a basically like a ninety some page adventure book that details um, stories you can go and adventures you can go take your uh, your college kids on overseas, and so it's like Poland, Great Britain, Italy, and uh, Costa Rica. Uh, are the four countries, but the the Pinnacle released what's called uh, Do It Yourself DIY VTT assets. So even if the the companies, the VTT companies, don't have a module for you, um, when you back the crowdfunders and the Kickstarters, the you can get a hold of the Do It Yourself VTT assets. So you can you know upload those character graphics right into the programs yourself. You can make your own pawns, or if the pawns are created, you can just import them into the game. Uh, you know, it includes the maps. And then for stuff like Foundry and Roll20, where there's a lot of kind of macros and in pre-done work that, you know, like adventure generators or uh, some of the more complicated tables or dice mechanics that require autom- uh, automation, uh, you can buy those kits from those companies to, to you know, really recreate all the things you need in the game. And, you know, those come with like the linkable books where you can, you know, cross-reference all the rules, bring up the the adventure books formatted correctly. So the I, I would say the Pinnacle gets a really high marks on VTT, you know, support, not only just in the, you know, getting the material onto the VTT, but, um, you know, supporting all the platforms as much as possible, especially the big, you know, the bigger ones. And then, obviously, the fans have have returned the favor by making Savage Worlds one of the most you know highly played games um, on those systems. So I, I think that's kind of exciting. I think that that brings more people to the game. You know, and like, as you said, it just kind of shows the wealth of material that's out there for Savage Worlds. That's a uh, will scratch a different itch than the traditional D twenty systems. So and, and Savage Worlds plays well on a VTT. There's the, the 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 dice mechanics and the card mechanics are a little bit different than other games, but they're easy enough. Where you know, if, if the game has access to a card deck, you can run all the card deck stuff. If it has access to dice, you can run all the dice stuff, and pretty much all of them do, right? Like they, they, those aren't rare features. So Savage Worlds does benefit from being easily playable um, remotely and on a, a virtual tabletop platform. That's cool. Yeah, that, that's one thing I wanted to ask about, and you know, like you know, that's another thing that that I've learned, you know, doing the the podcasting and so forth is, you know, and especially you know when when I was younger, you look at these books and you're thinking, oh, these have to be big companies to put out all this stuff, and perhaps a little more so back in the day, but like even you know, like I, I heard someone say, you know, now that the the number of RPG companies that have double digits of full time staff is probably in single digits. Yeah. I know someone who just recently got hired as the assistant line developer for a fairly well-known title, like to the point where their name will now be the third name in line on the books. They're contracted at 10 hours a week. Yeah, yeah. To give people out there, you know, yes, this is a big industry, but so much of the, even the big names in the industry, there's still people who work normal jobs, so to speak. Oh, very much so, right? And the it, it's interesting. It's definitely a, a, a it's weighted at the ends, right? The there are a a massive popularity of a few very large companies that could 
rightfully be called corporate. Companies that can afford HR people who have nothing to do with the production of the games, right? Versus, you know, and then it's, it's heavily weighted on, on the other end for people who are serious fans who want to put out content, right? And there's just a lot, you know, there's a lot of a high number of, of those at the bottom. And then there's a lot of popularity at the top. And then everybody else is kind of, you know, interestingly in the middle. And it, it's, you know, some of the realities, I mean, I'll, I'll get a little controversial here, but I think there's, role-playing games are one of the interesting industries where I don't think the memory of being a fan in your teens and 20s has helped the industry hit modern price points for things. So what I mean by that is that a lot of us think that game manuals should be super cheap, you know, 20 bucks or less or 30 bucks or less. And if you look at what a $40 book cost you 20 years ago and what one costs today, I mean, the prices haven't changed that much, certainly not as much as costs have risen and inflation has risen. And yet the kind of the production values are really super high now. We, we, we definitely have this kind of, you know, the games need to be full color art on every page or every other page. And, you know, we're not we're not doing cheap black and white printing anymore, or black and white art. We, you know, we need very talented, high quality art on everything. And then that's going to be printed on glossy paper and the books have to be hardbound and they need to be so many pages. And there's a the expectations, I think, are a little a little lagging behind where they need to be versus say board games where I think kind of on the back end, when you, when you start looking at being a producer in, in the industry, you know, I've got a little experience of this, you know, with Buccaneer and then with, you know, kind of pricing out some of our other projects and then you're getting a little bit of a glimpse behind the scenes with Pinnacle. There's definitely a, a disconnect between like how much, people are willing to pay for a board game and how much it costs to produce those versus what most people are willing to pay for RPG books and what it costs to produce those. And so I, you know, and it's, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I do know that it does, it does keep a lot of smaller kind of fan people from ever really making it big in the industry. And it does kind of slow us down from being able to have more full-time employees just because the the you know, the, the economics of it are are very interesting. I mean, like you know, great there are a couple companies who have they can get their games into the Walmarts of the world and, and do such a high volume and kind of diversify with other properties, whether it's like yeah, you know, I mean you think about wizards, what you know, wizards and magic, right? Magic became kind of the the lifeblood for pretty much the whole industry as far as like friendly local game stores, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the collectible card games really kept those people in business, even though a lot of us even just found collectible card games through role-playing games. But, you know, magic is, I, I, I think probably obviously a larger, you know, market share than, um, you know, some of the, the, the RPG stuff. And, but, you know, but now you, you look at some of the things and like RPGs are making a huge come back and, and and rpgs i think for at least for for you know the big corporate one i think based upon their recent numbers were bigger than their toy lines which is crazy thinking that you know they're selling more books as far as dollars than they are selling you know uh toys in in the in the the toy aisles that's kind of a crazy thing to think about but the you know, the economics of rpgs are a strange beast and it, it is kind of sad that the, you know a lot of the industry is part-time or, you know, half and half or divided or, you know, it's, it's not 
for for as much as the fans are really well versed, I mean, think of it this way: if you had to go to a family reunion, which RPG properties or companies would any of your relatives recognize the name of? Right. So for those for those of us who are gamers who are in the the cult of gaming and and kind of pop culture and nerddom. Man, we've got a list. We could, I could list, you know, twenty RPG settings that I own and play. When, when, when other people ask what I'm doing this weekend, or you know, what you do for a living, or those kind of things, I don't know that very many people would be able to recognize anything, probably other than Dungeons and Dragons, and and probably most of those people are coming from the '80s, you know, Satanic Panic recognition of it, not necessarily the kind of the, the, the newer renaissance of D&D, whether it's say, you, know, you know the actual plays or kind of the, the, the growing Hollywood popularity of it. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that's kind of the sad thing is, I mean, Star Wars certainly, but if you, if you bring up Star Wars, how many people are like Star Wars D6 or Star Wars RPG versus, oh, you mean the nine movies and all the toys and, you know, the, the, the Christmas special. So yeah, I, I think we... We are weird. We are a passionately supported niche market, but we're definitely kind of niche. Yeah, well, I think, it, but some of that goes to, because it it's essentially, and, and my wife jerks my cord about this all the time. She goes, you want more books to play pretend with? <laughs> and I go, <"Well>, yes. <laughs> but, but it, yeah, like, you know, it's it's completely different than, than pretty much any other form of entertainment or media or whatever, because you're buying this to then take it and make it your own. You know, the, the closest thing I can mm-hmm. think of really is, is maybe buying like painting kits, you know, but then, then you get into, you know, be it like the miniatures wargaming painting and that's a whole nother thing. And that crosses in with gaming and et cetera. But yeah, it, I think it's also unique in that, you know, so to speak, you're buying a guide, not the finished product in a lot of ways. Or at least that's been the way I've experienced it through most of my gaming career. I think that's fantastically intuitive of you because, and, and it's true. I mean, for instance, like the, you know, recently did an interview with um, Kevin Simbita from, uh, from Riffs, right? And we were talking about, you know, he had Jerry Bruckheimer on the line to create a Savage Riffs movie or a series of movies. And he wanted it to be his Star Wars. And you know, part of the, that conversation um, we were talking with with him about it was that the what? Why do you think that didn't happen? And you know, similarly, like you know, there, there's yet to be a really big Deadwood property, and and, and that, that's true of a lot of really popular RPGs. Um, even though you know Hollywood is rushing around to snap up comic books and kind of other properties, there there hasn't even been a really good Dungeons and Dragons movie yet. I mean, you know, not to insult the 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 work that's already been done, but you know, something that really popped in the mainstream. And I think the reason behind that, or one of the reasons, is that yeah, you're right. We are not so much in the business of creating iconic characters and properties as far as intellectual property that would tell one story. We're in the business of telling infinite stories and of of cooperative storytelling, not author-focused, one person steering it from beginning to the end to give you a very defined um, experience storytelling. So things like you know, Hunger Games and Harry Potter are you know, very much one author bringing their vision to you. They create a character and tell 
a story arc. Well, we've got five to seven to eight players or three to five, you know, whatever. Hey, one to 10, right? Like one to 10 players all <laughs> doing their story arcs and together and in an iterative fashion and not necessarily in a manner that would be entertaining or at least designed to be entertaining for someone to watch. Like, I'm still amazed that people watch actual plays. I don't know about you, but do you watch actual plays? I mean, to me, when it, when it first came out, I'm like, I like to play RPGs. I don't need to watch them, thanks. But it is a, a growing and very well-supported part of our hobby now. Uh, it, it is just mind-blowing to me because it's like, isn't the isn't the 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 proof of the pudding isn't the tasting, right? But some people like watching other people cook. I mean, cooking shows, like you don't get to eat or smell the food on the cooking show, but cooking shows are really popular. So it boggles my mind, but um, to me, it's in the playing. And I think that's kind of why Hollywood doesn't always know what to do with RPG properties. And I think that's kind of why a lot of them are still well-known and well-respected within the fan communities, but aren't quite as mainstream yet because there hasn't been that mainstream breakthrough where, you know, the grandmas know about it because they took their, their grandkids to it three times over, you know, the vacation or the little kids demand the toys from it. You know, those kind of interactions which demand, you know, non-fans to pay attention and know what's going on. I, I don't know that RPGs are as conducive to producing those properties just because we produce sandbox worlds and highly um, diverse worlds with diverse cultures and all these other little fiddly bits that you can come as an individual player and you choose the story you want to tell in that versus stuff that's like, I mean, for instance, Indiana Jones, right? Like Savage Worlds is, is often, like we talked about earlier, famous for, it runs pulp high action well. Well, Indiana Jones is a premier property in the pulp high action sphere, except mm -hmm. there hasn't been a successful Indiana Jones RPG. I mean, the, the, the one that, that TSR tried to do so famously crashed and burned that the, the, the Diana Jones Award yep. um, is named after. And I was one of those idiots who was like, oh, Diana Jones must be a woman game developer who was influential in the founding of RPGs. No, Diana Jones is a, is a pun off of they burned the cover, one of the remaining covers of the, the Indiana Jones RPG. And what was left over was the... The, the the phrase Diana and Jones and they kind of encapsulated the those burned cover pieces into a, a little perspex pyramid and you know it, it kind of it's turned into a joke about you know wonderful game design because you know everybody in the industry is kind of like well that one didn't hit the mark I guess um, I, I haven't I don't have a copy um, I'd probably like it because I like Indiana Jones so much but you know think about it I mean, why why does Indiana Jones fail as an RPG probably because so much of that story is written about one interesting character first and foremost, and everything else is kind of the mundane world. So who else would you play? Who else would you be in the Indiana Jones world? Well, if you're not indie, how else do you interact with that world? How, how many other adventuring archaeologists are there um, or, and or sidekick or, you know, femme fatale. I mean, there's just, there's not a whole lot of, things that are different about indie. You just have a very charismatic guy, you know, as the main actor and he gets to do the fun stuff. Whereas in, in Savage Worlds and other RPGs, we kind of typically design the archetypes and tropes for characters around 
everybody having a little bit of niche protection, everybody being able to affect the story, everybody having the ability to feel important and do amazing things. And then Hollywood can't handle that because like we can't have six stars. We can't have a, an ensemble, you know, those don't work well. And I think like things like guardian, of the galaxy show that, you know, yeah, you can, you can do that. Well, you can have the crazy squad and have everybody get their own, you know, interesting screen time. But, you know, otherwise, there aren't a whole lot of successes there. So I, I think that's kind of that's why our industry is, is I think it's growing. I think it will be a bigger industry in 20 years by far than it is today. But we, we, we do have that issue of recruiting new people and getting a little more mainstream attention. So, well, I think you hit on on something there, though, specifically with like you were talking about Indiana Jones. And, and I think you're right in that it's Indiana Jones is the story of Indiana Jones. And you're right, he's in a mundane world, and well, yes, you could play that and it would be fun, you are stepping into those shoes. And to take it to, I would say, the other famously adapted to RPG movie is Star Wars. But if you look at what gets played in Star Wars, most of the time, you're not playing the Skywalker saga. You're playing... You know, the the ancillary stuff, the stuff that's going on two systems away, three systems away. You know, you're telling your own story within that universe. But I don't think in the context of Indiana Jones that those stories just they aren't there. They're too yeah. visible as parallels. Yeah, right. Exactly. You 100 percent. And the, um, you know, in the Star Wars analogy, too, I, I think the. You know, my experience with with playing Star Wars as an RPG, one, I agree with you, you know, that it, you, you get it, it's, it's well suited for an RPG because there's so much of the extended universe material. Right. You have so many other authors who dip their toes in it. And, and because they were, you know, things that were hinted at in the movies, just small name drops got fleshed out over time by other writers you do have this, uh, this, you know, there's a whole lot more going on than just the, you know, the Skywalkers and the Palpatines. And I found just, you know, from experience in, in playing those games, you almost have to go that way. Either everybody in the party is a Jedi or nobody's a Jedi because striking the balance in an RPG is much more difficult than a movie where you just have writer fiat to make the non demigod like characters useful and interesting in every scene. But, you know, in an RPG where it's a little harder to put people on rails so much that you can really make all the other characters you know, interesting, you almost have to, everybody is a Jedi or nobody's a Jedi, because if you're playing for like GURPS, for instance, you know, the Jedi are like a 600 point character and the mundanes are a 50 point character or yeah. a 25 point character. And it's like, well, great. You get to go five times around. I get to go once. You, you know, da, da, da. so that just wouldn't be fun because you're you're sitting there kind of watching the Jedi do the cool Jedi stuff. But you, but you're right because Star Wars did enough to have enough of a of an expansive world around it. There's room for the smugglers and the you know the sidekick bowcaster furries and for. You know, just being interesting, having stories to tell in that literal universe because it's bigger like that. And I guess that's the appeal to of properties like Pathfinder. I mean, even though it's just, the Savage Worlds, there's definitely, I think, a chip on the shoulder of like Savage Worlds fans around fantasy, you know, kind of before Lankmar came out and before um, Savage Pathfinder that 
you know, because there were other systems that just focused solely on fantasy or very much on fantasy that, you know, Savage Worlds didn't need to. And then the appeal of Savage Worlds was kind of the other the other kind of genres you really couldn't play in a fantasy D20. But, you know, some some people turn that into, well, Savage Worlds can't do fantasy. And I don't I don't think that's true at all. I think the, the, the those two iterative publications really show that. And even Rifts, too. I mean, Rifts has got a lot of fantasy elements as well. Mm-hmm. It also has the kind of heavy the heavy lifting that fantasy has where you've just got the, the scales of power are, are grand. And those are, those are challenging from any kind of design point. Yeah, very much. You know, don't have to diss fantasy, but there is more out there. There is a wealth of other kind of game styles and gaming play. And, um, you know, if anything, you have to answer the opposite question of like, is there something Savage Worlds doesn't do? My, my guess is more mechanical versus subject matter. I, mean, I can't think of really any subject matter it, it can't handle, but mechanically, it's it's just so fun to have exploding dice. It's just so nice to have card initiative that diceless, all kind of theater of the mind, uh, no kind of mechanics. Savage Worlds has some elements that are like that, some, some you know, modular elements that, that are for you know, like interludes or you, know, you kind of bolt on situational um, mechanics, but it really shines because of the crunch and the storytelling kind of match. And so yeah, to, to me, I don't think Savage Worlds would scratch the itch for people who are kind of the, let's just have a cooperative talking session that doesn't ever really get to combat or doesn't ever really get to questions that need to be answered with random dice or you know with crunch so that's that's the best i can give you on the what doesn't it do so fair i was gonna ask too just because this is something that occasionally i'm in the mood for it also strikes me that it might not do kind of a a gritty kind of low-powered game all that well because of the exploding dice and so forth. Like the, the the example that immediately comes to mind would be something more akin to like a classic Warhammer fantasy type, you know, where you're really just schmucks out there with a sword, mm. but you know, so to speak, playing infantry grunts in a trench game doesn't seem like it's, it's just not, you know, the system and the aesthetic you're going for don't seem to mesh. Well, is that, do you think fair? Um, I think it's fair with exploding dice, right? So if you have if you have a, a system where you're gonna grind it out, and there's never there's you know the, part of the assumptions are that you are eking out small successes versus you know being able to one shot somebody. The exploding dice kind of remove that from the table, and I, I don't know that Savage Worlds would be fun without exploding dice. I, I do think if you want to walk that direction with the game, though, if you do want to get more gritty and you don't want to get as um, as swingy, the tip, the, the easy tip I would suggest, one, you can do it with setting rules um, and you can even make up your own. Maybe, you know, a lot of aces love making up their own setting rules to kind of to bring the flavor. For, for instance, the it, it, you know, there's a whole list of like zombie horror, right? Like the. Are they smart zombies? Or are they stupid zombies? Are they slow zombies? Or are they fast zombies? Are they, is, is everybody infected? And when you die, you become a zombie? Or do you need to be bitten? If you're bitten, are you guaranteed to turn? Or you know, there's, just, there's a whole lot in that genre, right? There's a lot of different ways of playing that. So the way you, you, you in Savage Worlds, you'd go after those is setting rules. And so like, like 
you know, do you want gritty damage? Do you want to not be able to... Are, are wounds things like, like are, are, do heroes never die or are heroes eminently disposable? How hard is it to, to, to recover from wounds? Do, do wounds, you know, those kind of things you can, you can monkey with those settings. And so one setting rules and then two Benny economy. And this is a little more abstract, but the one, one of the fun games um, that is a kind of uh, high Cthulhu-esque horror uh, in settings is called um, Realms of Cthulhu. And Sean Preston from a, a, an ace license called Reality Blurs um, created it. And the I played in one of his games at a convention, and he did the bennies you start with are the only bennies you're going to get in the game. And so this means that, you know, at most, you're going to be able to re-roll three rolls. At most, you're going to be able to undo three wounds or you know three successive wound attacks you know three different attacks that that wound you so that right there turns the game very grim and very dark very quickly so yeah and you you kind of do that with equipment too so like in, in the game we were playing we were basically inmates in an asylum who were trying to break out and who broke out and you know when you make a choice to to with those bennies yeah, if if you engage in physical combat with like a guard and you screw up, your character could be dead. I mean, it's it's not because of the swinging nature of it, just because, you know, you have limited resources to be able to make those rerolls. So I, I think if you were going on that grimdark style, that's how that's how I would approach it in Savage Worlds. You, you limit the number of bennies that are going out and then you put in some setting rules that make. Um, you know, wounds a little more permanent, those kind of things. Like, for instance, the uh, in the prior edition, being able to re-roll damage was a setting optional rule. You had to have that that setting turned on if you were causing damage to be able to re-roll that. You could turn that back. Yeah, it, it's it's standard now in um, in Suede. But you know, if you you know, keeping critical failures, you can't roll those. Putting in a uh, the inability to re-roll damage. Would, would start approaching what you want out of that kind of grim dark. So as written, definitely not as, as grim darky, definitely more the little David can definitely bring down the, 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 the giant Goliath um, with a, you know, a sling stone one shot. Um, but if you, if you want to pair that back and make it a little more grim dark, yeah, do it with Benny's and do it with some of the setting rules. That's cool. Yeah. I, that, I, I like that. So to speak, there are knobs there that you can, you can tweak for that. And then if you might have one more question, I think, and, and that is, and then based on what I'm reading in the, in the book and, and whatnot, that it seems like it's a game that kind of wants to be played with miniatures. Doesn't necessarily have to be, but is kind of maybe a little bit better with miniatures or tokens or, or something like that. Or does it handle full theater of the mind equally as well? I think the, the nice thing about miniatures is that I think, there's appeal for Savage Worlds with miniatures because you can throw a lot of miniatures out on the table and still get through the combat. So I think it's it's that's it, it, the opposite direction of the kind of the question you're asking. The question you're asking is like, if you're if you're playing if you're sitting in Savage Worlds land, do you like to walk over to miniatures land? To me, it's like if I if I'm in miniatures land and I like the painting and I like the fun and kind of the 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 automatic note keeping that happens when you have a map of miniatures, you know, you, you know how far apart characters are, you know, 
you know, where they're facing. You know, a lot of the note-keeping kind of secretarial stuff from other games that we all um, like to play is being done for you. Savage Worlds is an appealing choice because it, it just, it can, it can moderate those combats very well. Where you do get, you can do three miniatures-based combats. You can do everything from, you know, two and three mooks per player to just filling your your board with with characters and then kind of that up down off the table system I mentioned earlier kind of keeps track of those 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 miniatures. If we're talking about from Savage Worlds, you know, universe and if do you do you want to walk towards theater of the mind or do you want to walk towards miniatures? I think you can do both. The one thing that's that's a little more challenging with pure theater of the mind is that the there are a lot of statuses. Um, in Savage Worlds, and we, we've added more with Suede. So Shaken is, is is a major status, but there's things like being entangled and being stunned and being vulnerable. And so there still is a little upkeep. And a lot of us, uh, either if you're either even if you're running miniatures, um, either use little colored rings you can put around the miniatures, like you know, so Shaken is red and you know, Entangled is black and Stunned is green or whatever. Or you can um, use little like uh, aquarium glass beads of different colors. So like reds could be the wounds. So you know, you're putting you know a red token next to your character for each wound. Uh, there are companies like Alia Tools, A L E A, that put out um, kind of little magnetic bases for your miniatures. You can stack up status effects, so you can see, oh, you're shaken and you've got two wounds, and you're now you're entangled. Um, now you're vulnerable. Um, so there are enough situational statuses where having some kind of method of information keeping like miniatures um, is handy, even if you're not even doing full-on tactical combat, even if it's just you're putting a miniature figure on the table and you're you're putting a note. Like, you know, for a lot of games, if we're just doing theater of the mind, you know, I'll put a piece of paper down, you know, mark the character name on the piece of paper, and I'll deal the card on that name, and then I'll put any status tokens on that name. So even it's kind of an easy note note keeping kind of organizational tool. Um, so even even if we're doing you know theater of the mind, we still have. Uh, I don't I don't have to remember. I don't have to remember like oh you're shaken and wounded or whatever. So I think in that regard it does do both well. And I think the the simplicity of the system and the fact that you you do have card initiative keeps people focused enough that when you're doing theater of the mind they're still invested and they're still there and you're not spending an inordinate amount of time telling people like what happened this last turn because they were, you know, spaced out or, you know, did a bathroom break or went to, you know, do something else for 20 minutes. So I, I would say it does both. And, and, and I always use both in any given con game I run. So, you know, there will be a big set piece battle, usually at the end where we bust out the miniatures and do all the tactical stuff. But without it, it's still very generous. It's still very easy to be like, you can pull out the large burst template to figure out how many enemies are, are, are hit or, you know, the, the rules tell you like roll 2d6 and, you know, add those together. And those, those will be, you know, the, the number of, of MOOCs that are captured in a large burst template, those kind of things. So it has both. It really can, you know, do fear the mind. Um, I like doing chases and other small smaller encounters that aren't designed to take an hour. Like if I want to get into the, the 30 to 40 minute range, 
of of a scene definitely able to do a theater of the mind and and really the only thing that that, that, that requires is that your game master make uh, some concessions on like just ask your players questions like or have them ask you questions like for instance you know gang up bonus is a thing in savage world so if, if you're in melee combat with you know an opponent if you have a, another character adjacent to them so it's not just on the opposite side like i think pathfinder and some of the d20s you have to have very specific facing but no if there's just if there's another ally adjacent to them you each get a plus one on your attack and, and up to a plus four um, with, you know, four characters around that enemy. So if you don't have the, the miniatures busted out and you can actually count, you know, who's near who, you just kind of ask the questions like, hey, am I close enough to be adjacent to that enemy with, you know, so-and-so? Um, or, you know, how many of us are adjacent to that that monster so for the gang-up bonus or line of sight? So simply just asking those questions, um, you can definitely run Theater of the Mind. So I, and, and almost every game I play in, game masters do a mix of both during any 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 individual game session. So, and then that kind of makes it unique. I mean, I don't know that other systems like D twenty or GURPS or whatever really have that as an assumption that you're going to be able to do the theater of the mind elements and do the the tactical elements at the same time or in the same session but i i think savage world is, is just kind of designed that way and 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 some of the newer elements that were added to suede like you know there's things called quick encounters that are uh, a newer element or even just like figuring out like how to do social conflict or travel or mass battles right like the you, know, you can do the mass battles with all the miniatures there's even a mass battle system that requires no miniatures at all you're literally you're you're keeping track of tokens versus your side and their side and 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 and, and you're kind of in this this race on depleting their tokens you know or bennies so to speak um and adding to yours so that's that's pretty much a theater of the mind I mean, there, there's a little bit of bookkeeping in that you're you've got tokens on the table that are that, that are counting between the two sides but it's not you're not worried about facing you're not worried about any of the the smaller crunch you know same same thing for dramatic tasks you're you're really not worried about what's where the miniatures are on the table who's facing where what the ranges are they're kind of just built in and you know similarly there's there's chase rules there's, there's actually several versions of chase rules and they're they're more customized things like the chase deck that came out with Pathfinder for Savage Worlds that are very tailored like in in Buccaneer we did our own chase rules that are very you know boarding and shooting and crew and cannon centric to really kind of bring out the the pirate flavor. So between all of those kind of, uh, I think Savage Worlds calls it like the adventure toolkit uh, chapter in Suede. Those are very much the the subsystems that are uh, optional is probably not the best word, but you know they're, they're situational. They come up um, if, if your game master wants to use them. Uh, they're, they're definitely they're, they're not required, um, but they're they're ways of telling and storytelling that get away from the tabletop stuff. So. I think Savage Worlds, it has the choice. It's literally your choice on on how crunchy you want to get. So, yeah, when you're sitting in Savage Worlds world looking at either, you know, tabletop crunchiness or theater of the mind, you can kind of hop back and forth between both of them during any one game session. So I think that's probably a, a unique advantage to the system. Oh, very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, I have the distinct feeling that you and I could sit here and talk for quite a long time about this. <laughs> and keep going back and forth, but I would like to try and wrap this down into something of, of a normal episode length. So um, 
before we move on to the next thing, any any more points you, you want to touch on regarding Savage Worlds that we haven't touched on yet? No man, join us. We're we're cool people. We're always looking for for other gamers to to join us. So the um, I'll just mention that we've got um, we we're, we're starting to put on virtual conventions. And uh, so this last Halloween, we we did Halloween. We've got a, an upcoming setting which is Appalachian horror called Holler. Uh, Tim uh, Early, a great was local here to Denver, but now uh, he's in Nebraska and then he's hopping back to North Carolina. Uh, he's a great guy um, with uh, solid. Appalachian Roots. Is that the folks that did, um, it was a podcast called The Old Gods of Appalachia? So, no, uh, but th- that podcast would definitely be wonderful fodder for Holler. Similar kind of overtones, right? Like you've got, you know, Appalachian plus the weirdness. But yeah, the Holler is, is, is uniquely the creation of Tim Early. The, the basic kind of theory is that it's, um, it's set in, in about the 30s that's kind of the tech level is 30s and the um there's this veil that kind of separates the holler from the outside world and so it's it's got this kind of intimate trapped isolated nature to it and the mechanics and the stories you're telling in that world um that kind of make it unique but the um if you if you, if you like the old gods of appalachia i think you'd love holler so yeah we put on halloween and we're probably going to do another halloween again this year um if not another virtual convention before that you can join us for the uh, savageexpedition.com where you can sign up for our newsletter we're going to do a cruise this year's cruise is uh, 2022 in january we're leaving out of uh, cape canaveral uh, Port Canaveral in Florida, which is like Orlando. Uh, so if you want to come in for the new year, celebrate the new year in Orlando with either Star Wars or Harry Potter or the Space Center, and then get on a cruise and then play a lot of Savage Worlds uh, for the next week, we are going to um, Belize. So we're going to hit up um, Costa Maya and Cozumel and then Belize as our, our stops. Check out the uh, savagecruise.com. And then in August, uh, before that, we're going to go to Deadwood, uh, South Dakota, to celebrate 25 years of Deadlands. So we're just going to gonna take in the sights and sounds of, of Deadwood and then play a lot of Savage Worlds, especially Deadlands. And uh, so you guys are welcome to join us on both of those kind of uh, excursions uh, to enjoy some Savage Worlds. And then hopefully, uh, as we're all kind of in the next year or two, as we're coming out of COVID, we'll see you guys more at some of the, the the larger cons around the country. But yeah, so either whether it's digital or in person, there's there's ways to play Savage Worlds uh, if you don't have a group near you. Okay. Well, that sounds wonderfully fun. So I, I talked to you about this a little bit before we got started. And the thing that we, we try to do kind of at the end of every show is what we call Game of the Week, which is really just us kind of finding something and, and just to try and help people because... I think there are just a lot of people out there who are just not aware of how many different games are out there. And so what we do is we just, you know, we pick a game, be it could be a Savage World setting. I mean, we've used all kinds of stuff in the past. But yeah, I think uh, with this, then I think it's time to get into Game of the Week. Nice Game of the Week. Game of the Week. Game of the Week. Yes. And so um, I actually have two picked out here. So, uh, would you like me to go first, or would you like to... Uh, host privileges first, sir. All right. Well, I was going to use something that you mentioned, I think, on the last episode of your podcast that dropped. It was the title, I believe. But then I found Titan Effect. And Titan Effect, uh, which is a, a Savage Worlds setting, I it's from Night Errant Media, 
it is to read the the little blurb on drive through it's a tactical espionage and science fiction rpg says the world is not what it seems ordinary ordinary people haven't realized how strange and dangerous it has become but things are about to change psychics and bio-augmented humans work as spies and soldiers on behalf of criminal organizations private military companies and secret societies all in a covert war that has been raging for decades and so this is effectively kind of it feels like james bond and superheroes kind of all rolled together it says it's a mix of biopunk spy thriller and superhero and like i haven't even really looked at this but the tagline sells it for me have you had any experience with this it's fantastic so the um beyond the, the, the kind of cool content right where you've got you know, the bio augmentation and the, you know, the kind of uh paramilitary private kind of missions and shooters christian nome who's one of the the, the team behind night air and i think it's a christian nome and jeff reese He's a, a rather amazing designer who puts in over-the-top skills on the PDFs they put out. And I know it's not intrinsic to the game, but if you buy Titan Effect, which I recommend you go do, the actual PDF for the game is amazing. He's coded it with um, special code where when you're you're operating the PDF, it's like you're operating a secret, you know, high-tech tablet that... The, the, the way it's kind of internally hyperlinked and usable and the menus are, are just done so well in the, the, the graphic design and the layout that it, it feels like you're using kind of future tech tablets that, that are all incorporated. And so the the attention to detail there on just the 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 PDF coding and that bringing out the evocative nature of of the the setting it's just so cool that, I mean, you should pick it up whether or not you want to play bio-augmented, you know, kind of operatives and spies and shooters and and, and all that. I mean, if, you, if you're a game designer listening to this and you put out anything in PDF, you should either hire a Christian or give him a ring and check out the, the Titan Effect PDF just for the kind of quality, cool things you can do to tell an interesting story with the medium you're using. In this case, you know, the digital PDF. But that's something that wouldn't be obvious if you haven't purchased it that is not to be missed. So that's exciting. And that, that's my tip for Titan Effect is super fun, future tech. There's there's another similar setting that takes a very different spin, like your operatives, but instead of the bio-augmented engineered and, and future tech, you play corporate. It's the corporate structure, and you're playing uh, gods and demigods of the Greek pantheon. Um, that's called Olympus Inc. So you're, you're also kind of playing, you you can play non-humans, but you're, instead of being kind of, you know, uh, a lizard woman or, um, you know, bio-augmented uh, steampunky guy with claws or the ability to, you know, cast fire with your hands, you're playing uh, demigods or sons of and daughters of, of the kind of the, the Greek pantheon as your inspiration. So those are, they're, they're similar in the fact that they're both mixing modern high-tech guns and tech equipment, like, you know, uh, equipment-heavy gear list kind of games with some um, fun fantasy elements. So, uh, yeah, but the Titan Effect is fantastic. Okay, cool. What would you say that was? Olympus Incorporated? Yeah, Olympus Olympus Inc. Okay, that sounds interesting, too. So, do you have anything you'd, you'd like to recommend to people? 
so this one's a weird one. I won't take up too much more of your time because uh, I do like to talk. There's a really, this is kind of shows how far you can stretch what Savage Worlds can can handle. So there's a great system called Low Life. It's done by an author named Andy Hopp. And um, the the Low Life is, um, it, it's just, it, it is pretty gonzo. It's set, uh, as Andy says, gazillions of years in the future, the vaunted human race is extinct and oiths, Dominant life forms evolved from cockroaches, snack cakes, and the dregs that survived the various apocalypses in the highly original tabletop role-playing game. It's a spork and sorcery adventure in a shattered world inhabited by the descendants of worms and stranded aliens and the, you know, aforementioned snack cakes and cockroaches. There's uh, dementalism, smell casting, contam animation um hocus pokery so it's 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 like this weird primordial soup kitchen kind of just fantastic weirdness i mean it is it, 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 it's it is the product of a very demented but also very wonderful mind and i think it shows off savage worlds in that there's you know it, it's just so crazy and uh, you you pick it up to even just read through it and laugh at, at the wonderful puns and the the kind of design choices Andy has made. Um, it's whimsical uh, and it's crazy. There's really nothing else like it um, that I can think of. You know, it's it, it's it's out there and it's funny and it's hilarious and you know you can play you know a fungus and um, you know or a spork or whatever. That 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 kind of stuff is just it, it's it's so different than what you're expecting. And um, and you know, because Andy Hop chose Savage Worlds for it, I think it speaks to uh, being a system that can really change your uh, challenge your expectations. So that's my pick is Low Life by Andy Hop. All right, yeah, I, I, I found that and I've added it to my wish list because that sounds entertaining at the very least. All right, well, first off, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to come talk with us, and uh, we'll definitely have to find an excuse to have you come back at some point to talk about something else. But uh, is there anything? I mean, I know you've mentioned some of this stuff already, but is there any anything you'd like to plug? Any contact information you'd like to give out? Anything like that? Yeah, the, the uh, SavageCast.com for the SavageCast podcast. Uh, also in the, you know, if you haven't heard enough from me already, which I'm pretty sure everybody listening has already heard enough from me for the year. But the uh, yeah, SavageCast.com, SavageCruise.com, SavageExpedition.com, anything else? Um, the uh, If any of you need to contact me for any reason, even if it's just for hate mail, uh, Chris.Landauer, L-A-N-D-A-U-E-R at gmail.com is where you can find me. But other than that, um, on the horizon for Savage Worlds, Pinnacle is finishing up a Flash Gordon campaign. It's got uh, a couple more days left in it, if it's not already done, on Game on Tabletop. And then one of the major properties we talked a lot about tonight is probably one of the next up in the uh, the order of the great crowdfunders. And then uh, one exciting things for, for new people to the show that's coming down later this year, probably, are the Companions. And the Companions are a, a cool set of books that allow you to expand the, the core rules for Savage Worlds to better adapt to the different kind of genres. So there's a, uh, a sci-fi companion, a fantasy companion, um, a, a new, not, and these would be updated for Suede, um, and then a new companion, the martial arts companion, there hasn't been one out previously, is also in the works, uh, Super's companion for superhero games. So um, just to wet the whistle for people who uh, kind of want to take Savage Worlds for a spin, but have their own genre of choice, 
Um, stick with us at Pinnacle this year to see what's coming up because those will be some really big uh, crowdfunders, probably Kickstarters coming up between now and uh, 2022. So, all right, sounds awesome. Yeah. So, like I said, um, thank you for taking the time and really had fun talking with you and and learned a hell of a lot. And I'm really excited to dive back into this book among the other oh I don't know six or seven other RPG books I'm trying to read at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, you're glad you found it. And then if anybody out there needs help finding games to play in, you know, drop me a line. The uh, the as we mentioned before, the virtual tabletop is is here to stay and there's a lot of great, you know, Savage Worlds games going on. So, if you if you want to get into the the system, uh, that's probably a good way to start. Alrighty. Well, then if if you don't have anything else, I think it's it's time to remind folks to to uh, be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. And of course, uh, also, if you'd like to contact us here at the show, all the contact information's in the show notes and I'll get most of these links and stuff I'll get from Chris and I'll put them in the show notes as well. So, all right, folks, take care, be kind to each other. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash meandsteverpg. Thank you and be kind to each other. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that.